Welcome to episode 88 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This episode is with Ben Bradley, the head of Academy Sports Science and Medicine at AFC Bournemouth. It was great to speak to Ben following on from David Johnson's episode way back on episode 39. So we reflect on um, David's episode and some of the things David went through in terms of growth and maturation. We also speak about overseeing a multidisciplinary team. We also spoke about Ben's approach to injury prevention. And then we also speak on the movement competency frameworks that they've set up at the club as well. So it was great to chat with Ben. There's loads of great information again on this one. Um, some really key takeaways. So I'd love to hear what you take away from the episode. So please make sure you share the show and then tag us in. If you're sharing it on Twitter, tag us in with some takeaways that you take uh, you took away from the show, um, some key things you took away. Share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, send it out to friends. Please share the show far and wide. And also just make sure you subscribe to the show. So whether you listen to it on iTunes or Spotify, please make sure you subscribe. And the majority of these episodes are also going up on YouTube as well. So go and check them out on YouTube too. So a big thank you again for listening to the show. And here is the episode with Ben. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 88. I am joined today by the head of Academy Sports Science and Medicine at AFC Bournemouth, Ben Bradley. Ben, how's things? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate you getting me on. No problem at all, mate. It's been a long time coming, this one, hasn't it? Trying to put diaries together and trying to find some time. It has to be fair. Yeah, apologies on my end for that. But uh, yeah, we're in now, so let's uh, let's see what we can come up with. No, no problem at all, mate. It's good to have you on. Um, just take us through, Ben. I just I just said about your current role. Um, just take us through your career so far. So take us through where you've been and where you studied and up to current day. Yeah. So um, to be honest, there's not a great deal to um, to discuss. I haven't got a a long job record or or a fancy CV like like a lot of a lot of other people have. But um I guess we'll start back to when I started uni really. So um I went as a mature student. I didn't go sh- straight to uni out of college. Um I felt at the time that it would have been um not a waste of time, but I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't I didn't want to go to uni for the sake of it. So um took a bit of time out, um worked and enjoy, enjoyed myself and my friends. And I, I guess I, I sort of Used those as my uni years without being at uni, if that makes sense. Um, so had a bit of a break and did what I wanted to do for a few years before um, going to uni. So I went to uni a little bit later and at a time when I felt like I knew what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study and where I wanted to go with it. So I went to uni um, in 2010 um, at Kingston Uni in London, um, studied sport and exercise science there for, for three years, which was great. Really enjoyed it. Um, loved my time there as, as a, as a a really welcoming unis, lots of good people there, and um, yeah, really, really felt like I got got the most out of out of the degree that I could. Um, luckily enough, in my sort of final year, just going into my final year, I really I really knew that I wanted to get into football. Um, it had always been a love of mine, and um, the performance side had always been something I was really interested in. And, and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go and see if we can sort of delve into that industry. Um, so I was looking for sort of internships to do alongside my final year. Um, I was actually still living uh, in Brighton at the time. That's my hometown. Um, I, like I said, I was a bit of a, a, a more mature student. So I was actually travelling from Brighton to Kingston um, for for my degree, which was a bit of a slog. But um, So I looked at, at 
any, any internships around uh, clubs around there. So my, my local club, Brighton, obviously. And the next local club to me was Crawley Town. Um, so I found out who was in charge of the sports science department at Crawley Town, which at the time was um, Ross Burberry. Um, so I managed to get hold of Ross. He'd just, just joined the club. Um, they'd gone from the conference into League Two and then League Two straight to League One. So um, there hadn't been a sports science structure at the club before, before Ross went there. Um, in that summer of 2012, I believe. Um, Sean O'Driscoll was the manager, took Ross there. Um, I got in touch with him and, and he was obviously looking for some help. So it was um, sort of suited us both for me to go up there and, and give him a bit of a hand. Um, really, really good for me um, to get involved in a club at that level at that time. And, and looking back now, especially a club that was limited in resources and didn't really have um, that tradition of sports science and it allowed me to sort of be there while that was being the the sort of foundations for that were being laid down so um, we sort of took took that from scratch and sort of tried to make something out of it and have an effect on on the team and, and the, the way they could move forward but um, that was cut short in terms of working with Ross and Sean O'Driscoll there at the time who were there for a matter of weeks before they were um, nabbed by Nottingham Forest so Sean O'Driscoll got the job there went up to Nottingham Forest Ross went with him um, off the top of my head, I think that was probably four or five weeks in. So we hadn't even finished pre-season, I don't think, by the time that had happened. So short-lived for them, but it left me there. And, and like I say, without a, a structure of sports science already been in place, me being an intern and, and still being at uni, I was the only person there that was um, sort of sports science-based. So there was a sort of an interim period where I was sort of taking warm-ups, doing some conditioning work, you know, running the S&C sessions, the recovery sessions, and... Um, Believe me, it wasn't anything innovative. It was just trying to carry on what had already been put in place just to try and keep the guys ticking over because I was at such an inexperience at the time. Um, but someone else came in and and, um, and uh, I worked under under them and, and, and for the club for pretty much the rest of the season until sort of the end when I had my dissertation to do and bits and pieces to, to hand in. But especially that three-month period where I was working full-time before I went back into uni, sort of uh, end of June to sort of end of September was a real eye-opener for me um, in terms of how sports science department works and, and the sort of industry itself. Um, so from there, I finished finished the, the placement there, finished my degree, um, and sort of in a bit of no man's land looking for jobs, sent a few CVs and stuff out and heard nothing back. Um, and uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, was with me in Brighton, but originally from Bournemouth. So I had a quick look on the Bournemouth website, saw there was something advertised there um, and went for it. It was the last day. Um, so I chucked my CV in and, and saw, um, and just tried to see what come of that really. And the, the role was, a uh, it was an intern, a paid intern role that was with, uh, with the Academy. Again, something they'd never done before. So I think it was a way of them trying to get um, an idea of how sports science would work in the Academy and if it was something they wanted to move forward with in the future. So applied for that. Got it, luckily. Um, moved down to Bournemouth. Um, so that was 2013, 2013, yeah, end of June 2013. Um, and I've been at Bournemouth ever since. So um, that sort of year, one year sort of paid intern role turned into full time within sort of four or five months. Um, luckily, I obviously made enough of impressions for them to, to keep hold of me. And um, I'm sitting here in 2020 and I'm still working for the same club. Um, it doesn't feel like the same club. There's been so many changes and so so many different things that have um, improved at the club, which is essentially why I'm still there and still happy to develop um, at ASC Bournemouth alongside the club. Um, 
so yeah, that brings us up to now when, and there's been some some changes in role um, slightly as we've moved across, but um, I think we're going to move on to those questions at some point anyway, so I'll, I'll leave that there. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Masters. I did my Masters as well oh, yeah. while I was, um, while I've been working, I did that 2015-16 um, sort of uh, MSc in Applied Sports Science at Worcester Uni. Um, so I was working obviously full-time, had to do a distance learning course and, and that was the one I went for and um, so yeah. I've got the masters on the CV as well, and and for me it was um, a, a process I wanted to go through. I, f- I feel like it was something that you know could have could have influenced my career a bit more than it has done. Um, you know, at cert- certain times I look back and think with my degree and, and with my masters that there was there wasn't enough applied stuff on it. Um, but I think courses are trying to rectify that now these days there's, there's lots more um applied work in sort of sports science and s courses so um uh yeah that can only be only be a positive but um but yeah did the masters and um like i say that, that's where i am now so the big thing that stuck out for me there when you were talking ben was that and and this has come across in a lot of previous episodes as well with a lot of different practitioners is that when people are going into clubs and they, they've and you just mentioned it then about the being um not a lack of sports science support at the club at Crawley. And there's a lot of people that have talked about the same in terms of not much um, available at the club. What stands out to me is a a majority of football league clubs, Premier League clubs, and even down at a non-league level now, have got some sort of S&C or sports science support. So these students that are coming through now, where, and I'm sure you'll touch on it, is that your experience at Crawley and going in there with with not, uh, not many resources, um, that obviously develops you as a practitioner a lot, doesn't it? So what do you think about these practitioners coming through, going into this environment now where there's there's not going to be opportunity or as many opportunities like that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think probably those days are behind us now where you could go into a club and um, and try and build something from from the ground up because, like you say, the, the support systems now are a lot better than they used to be, which is obviously an, a positive for the industry itself, um, for sure. But looking back at my experience, yeah, being thrown in at the deep end and um, given a bit of responsibility early on has allowed me to sort of look at myself a little bit and say, is this for me? Am I am I able to, to work under this pressure? Um, is it something I want to do on the long term? And, and for me back then, it was a resounding yes. It was, it was yeah, I, I, I love this. It's, it's going to be something I'm going to really enjoy as a career. I, I really want to get stuck into it. Um, and I really want to improve as a practitioner and try and develop myself and, and then in turn help develop the, the teams and the people that I'm working with. Um, so, yeah, working with very little resources, very little staff, um, you know, it allows you to work things out for yourself. Um, the answers aren't always there for you. Um, and that, again, you know, allowed me to, to work out what sort of sports scientist I wanted to be, and obviously that's developed over time. But moving to Bournemouth, again, um, there was nothing in the academy in terms of sports science provision. It was there was, there'd never been a sports scientist before, so that experience at Crawley had, had allowed me to go into Bournemouth and say, say to myself, yeah, I, I can sort of try and build something here that has a positive effect on the club and the academy and, and what it's trying to do and, and how to develop players. Um, so that for me was a real a real bonus, a real positive, something that um, I'll always look back on and think, yeah, that was a real good grounding for me. I guess the advantage these days is going into a club, maybe straight out of uni or 
maybe if it's your first role, hopefully you've got a lot of mentors around that have been in the in the game for a long time that will be able to help you. Um, so there, there wasn't specifically that around for me. It was more a case of trial and error and go and find out how to to work in the industry, how to communicate with people, how to get your messages across. Um, and I sort of had to do that by myself. Um, and again, I'll look back at that and and and, I'll, and I won't regret any of it. I think it was it was a brilliant grounding for me. Um, it is sort it sort of worked um, worked around in a circle really, where I, where I now sort of put a little bit of that on the people that work for me. Um, so that sort of influenced the way I sort of manage um, at times, especially when we get placement students. Um, we obviously give them the support that they need, but at times we need to allow them to um, fend for themselves a little bit. Um, have some trial and error in their day-to-day jobs, um, allow them to put, put them in situations they're going to find uncomfortable and sometimes situations they're going to fail at um, because that's how I believe they learn. I, I feel like people learn best by, um, you know, being shown but then but then doing it on the job themselves. Um, maybe that's um, the way I learn best, so that's the way I try and um, help other people. But I think there's a fine balance between having someone to be a mentor and provide you with the, the knowledge and experience that you require to, to work in the industry, which is really valuable. And then, and there's also um, a real case for, you know, sometimes doing what I did and sort of learning on your feet by yourself and, and sort of trying to make your own way. Um, so hopefully at, um, in the academy where I work now, we sort of blend the two together and hopefully people can um, find a, a good environment for them to learn and develop in. Yeah, definitely. And just touching on on uh, one of your fellow practitioners at the club, obviously we had David Johnson on the podcast, I think it was episode 39, um, so anyone can go yeah. back and listen to that. But obviously the, the podcast with David was mainly based around growth and maturation, around biobanding and all the work that you guys are doing down there. So we weren't going to focus solely on that in this podcast, but I just wanted to catch up with you in terms of, because that was a, a little bit ago, so just catch up regarding any updates um, on what the program's looking like or just a, a little reflection on what David was talking about? Yeah, um, obviously David, um, David's come in to us. Uh, so David was working part-time a couple of years ago for us. Obviously, I was just talking about the program and, um, and how when I came in, we, we sort of didn't have the staff. It was just myself. Um, we had a full-time physio and part-time analyst. But um, if I talk specifically about sports science now, we've got myself sort of leading the sports science and medicine department. We've got um, David, who's now a full-time sports scientist with us. Um, we've got a part-time role as well. Um, and David came from the part-time role. He came into us um, through Sean at Bath Uni, who we'd done some collaborations with uh, through growth and maturation. David was was keen to learn um, and develop that um, as part of one of his areas. So he came in, was doing his master's, and um, uh, we took him as a PhD student as well, full time, and then and now he's full time with us while still studying for his PhD and getting the research out and growth and maturation. So, um, again, the growth of the academy has allowed us to to have someone um, like David in, and he's been a real positive positive influence for us. Um, we, we were we've always been quite big on growth and maturation, sort of since sort of 2014, 15. We've been working hard on it, um, and that's only kicked on since we've had the um, support of David. Um, which has been brilliant for us. And, and you've seen, and I know obviously you've spoke to him and he's done a webinar for you and some of the brilliant stuff he's done and continues to do is, is vital for the industry and for us as a club. Um, but from my perspective, the, the main thing I'm trying to get across in the academy now is, is how we integrate the whole approach. Um, 
So anyone who's heard me speak before will hear me bang on about integration, um, and you'll probably hear that again a lot um, during this podcast. So forgive me if I keep saying it, but for me, it's a really important aspect of everything we do across the academy and across departments and across the club. Um, so our sort of approach to our growth and maturation strategy is an integrated one. So not just the sports science department working on growth and maturation and, and nobody else understanding it and um, and being a part of that process. So the, there's no doubt that sports science has a big part to play in it. So does the, the medical department. Um, the coaching department has um, just as big a part to play in it as well as, as does the recruitment department. So um, without going into the ins and outs of it, there's you know aspects for, for all those roles that um, we're trying to explore and, and trying to give the coaches and the recruitment staff the tools to be able to use the information as best we can. So we're pretty set with the work we're doing and it's, it's been, um, we've developed um, a good strategy and, and like I say, now it's a case of just making sure everyone else is integrated, everyone else is educated and we know how best to use the information to inform um, our programme and the development of our players. Um, so we're So we're looking at sort of research into it all the time um we we've looked into a couple of things um in terms of department departments crossing over so we've even spoke to our education department about early and late maturers and how that looks for them in the classroom if there's any links um we're really early in that at the moment but just something as simple as looking at our day release program looking at the early maturers and the late maturers and speaking to the um the teachers and our head of education about um do they see any differences in the way the students learn or the way they behave in the classroom? Um, it's been really interesting for us. So something really basic, like um, we we the education guys and, and girls have found that our um, early maturing players are a lot more independent learners um, in, in that sense, so that they're able to ask more questions and, and, and get on with their work a little bit more. Um, whereas our later maturers are a little bit less likely to ask questions. They're a bit more quiet in the classroom um, and sometimes need a little bit more support. Um, so that's real basic, and we need we need to delve into that a lot more. Um, but just just an example of how we're trying to work across the departments. Um, another one we're looking at um, a study at the moment around technical um, technical analysis. Um, so the effects of growth and maturation on match play variables, um, essentially, in in academy football. So um, we've taken our 14s, 15s, and 16s, and and divided the the, the boys up. So it was sort of the data from last season. Um, that we had um, from those groups, looking at the um, the stats from those games and seeing if there was anything that um, that, that jumped out at us from a, um, a maturation perspective, and, and just our early analysis just shows that, as as I would imagine, it is across all um, the whole of the country or the world in terms of youth football. But early maturers seem to be getting more match minutes um, than, than later maturers, um, and then if you delve into it a little bit deeper. Again, just scraping the surface of what we've been looking into, we found that our early maturing defenders um, had more tackles, more tackles per minute and more interceptions per minute than our late maturing players. So again, you're looking at um, reasons for coaches to play players, reasons for coaches to um, assess players and give them more favourable scores or reviews. Um, and we really need to delve deeper into the reasons why these things happen and, and coaches need to be, and recruitment staff as well, need to be you know up on this stuff as well if we, if we look at midfielders and attackers our early maturers you know are having six significantly more assists and goals per minute um, across the season than our um, early maturers um, and that's that's relative to game time as well um, so these things are bound to make um, players stand out more and, and potentially be the ones that we look at as our um, 
our best bet, if you like, moving forward. But again, as we know, that's not always the case. So, so yeah, just to um, sort of go back to the question, we're, we're basically trying to, the work we've, we've done, you know, been going for a while, the research continues. And um, the main thing for me is trying to integrate that into the department and the academy and, um, and ensure that everyone has a role to play in it. No, that's awesome. And you talked about integration. And I was gonna, I was gonna ask as well because trying to t- get in the mind of coaches at, at other clubs, they're probably listening to that and thinking, well, we're doing, we're doing a lot of good work as well, but we don't quite feel that our staff are integrated. So, in terms of like practical strategies for that integration, linking up with coaches, like you say, linking up with the education side, what are some mm-hmm. practical things that you guys have put in place? Yeah, so we're we're always really open with everything we do. We've got sort of an open door policy in the office for coaches and, and any, any staff to come in and discuss what we do. Um, we've got on CPD, we've got an education for the, for everyone um, across the academy. Um, like I say, we, we, we try and sit down with each department and go through what we feel like their roles would be in, in a growth and maturation strategy and, and how that will help um, the players and obviously themselves as well in their roles. Um, we did an exercise uh, funnily enough, before the before the lockdown kicked in, where we um, actually spoke to and, in, if you like, we interviewed people from every department in the academy and, and asked them what um, growth and maturation meant to them and, and and how it fits with their role, whether they think it's valuable or not. Um, so that was a way for us to let everybody know that we value their input into the things that we do in the sports science department and also for them to sort of have a bit of a awareness as to what their role in that could be and how that could be beneficial to them um so uh, like i say that was done before the lockdown and that was um going to be presented back to the whole academy so it was it, we ended up with a sort of 10 minute video of um staff across sports science medicine um psychology um which is a big one um analysis coaching recruitment education um goalkeeper coaches as well because obviously it's a little bit different for them but you know really important um, so we touched across all those people in the academy. They all gave us their thoughts on growth and maturation, what it meant to them, um, and how they felt that um, you know that could affect their role in a positive manner for the development of the of the academy and the players. So again, that's something we're looking to um, report back to everyone, um, and hopefully that process in itself allowed them to have a bit more deep thought about what we're doing and how it can help, and and hopefully um, you know get a bit more buy-in from them to, to make sure that moving forward, we can use it in the best way we can because um, obviously we're all, we've all got the same goal, which is to develop the players um, as best we can um, and, and try and push them through the academy as far as possible. Um, so, yeah, I think small things like that, the education needs to be continued continuously. Um, so, it's like I say, we've been doing this since 2014-15 and, and every year we've done um, more education on the subject. Um, the coaching team doesn't always stay the same neither the the rest of the of the team so everything needs revisiting um and also we need to make sure that the players are aware of what's going on as well so we, we spend some time discussing with the players um putting education on for them um the parents as well we're, we're more than open um enough to speak to the parents about certain things um we we do present all of our fitness testing data for the academy in their um sort of bio-banded uh, groups as well as their chronological age groups so sometimes we get questions around that from parents which is absolutely fine so as long as we're 
educating everyone on the subject and we're all on the same page, I think it's going to, it's really positive and beneficial for the, for the academy. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask as well, Ben, about your role. So you're now overseeing a department. Um, what's your experience been with that? And what have been some lessons if, you, if you're thinking about talking to people that are not necessarily doing that right now, but potentially going to be doing it in the future? Yeah, it's, an, it's another one of those where I've sort of been thrown in at the deep end, if you like. So uh, as a result of, of being at Bournemouth and, and being, you know, part of something that started back in 2013, the club's only been on an upward trajectory and since that since that point. So like I say, it was League One to Championship when I joined and we spent two seasons in the Championship before we were then in the Premier League and, and obviously we're still currently, currently there now. Um, so the club has been able to, and, and I'll always... Um, um, be positive about the club in this sense because the club's always backed us um, as an academy the club's always um, tried to progress us year on year um, which has been a real valuable um, a real valuable asset to us to the to the academy to the club itself um, because we've just been able to grow season by season and, and and I guess with me being there to start with and and sort of laying down the foundations and the strategy that we, we were going to use to move forward um, I think inevitably when we got to a certain size, there was going to be a need for someone like myself to, to sort of manage that um, sort of performance department. So at the moment, again, again, we're not, we're not a cat one. So we don't, we don't have the, the, the levels of staff that um, certain cat ones may have, for example. Um, but like I say, we've gone from a, a real skeleton staff to having myself as, as, as the lead um, with a, with a, lead nine to 16 sports scientists um, and a part-time S&C coach. Um, we've got um, three full-time physios in the academy um, or sports therapists um, these days, which is a, a, a huge bonus for us. Um, for a long time, we only had one. Um, and then we, we supplemented with part-time staff where we could, and, and we still do do that. But at the moment, um, things are running far more smoothly with, with the, the team we've got in place now. Um, we've got full-time um, performance analyst as well as a part-time analyst as well um, we've got um, and sort of a nutritionist who works sort of ad hoc for us as well as a, a senior psych- psychologist as well um, who works on sort of an ad hoc basis and, and supplementing that we've got a, a psych PhD student um, which has been a real bonus for us as well in the sort of last season or two um, and we also um, have a master's student um, for analysis um, and then we look at sort of a sandwich year student for sports science and and for um, physio as well. So from where we were, the department's a lot, lot bigger and we're able to provide a, a service to the, the players that now that, that I'm proud of and one that um, I feel is is always moving in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, without any sort of experience, sort of as, as we've laid staff on and on, it's sort of been my role to, to knit that all together. Um, so I guess the main thing I would say is to know your limitations um, so for me um, I'm a sports scientist um, I'm not a physio um, I'm not a psychologist I'm not an analyst um, yeah I, I've picked up things along the way and and um, uh, and I feel like I've got a decent um, amount of knowledge in, in certain areas and how those job roles work but I'm, I'm for sure not not going to be um, diagnose anyone, anyone with injuries and um, I'm not going to be uh, writing the psych program, if that makes sense. What, what I, I know I'm good at is being a sports scientist. And what I also know I'm good at is um, putting a strategy in place for us all to sort of work together towards. 
Um, so that, that would be the main thing for me. Um, and, and being that link person um, for anyone to come to and uh, to express themselves, um, someone uh, to be someone that the staff can trust um, and someone that's, that they know is going um, gonna to work hard for them if that makes sense. So I'm always going to have their best interest in heart at heart. Um, so yeah, for me, it's a case of knowing my limitations, um, knowing that, you know, there are people in the department that are more knowledgeable on certain areas than I am and allowing them to do the, their jobs and the jobs that we brought them in to do. Um, so I'm not going to be a, a department lead that sort of dictates what people have to do, where they have to be. Um, I'm someone that puts a strategy in place with the input from the rest of, of the team. Um, that's in line with what the club wants. Um, and then my, my job is to facilitate that and allow people to flourish in the roles that, that they've been given, really. Um, so, yeah, just a case of um, giving them ownership um, and, and having good communication lines um, and good trust, um, which is, which is um, essential for, for any sort of team to, to work um, and move forward. Just a quick update on our online community. So as of next week, we, and, and this is the start of June 2020, we'll be uploading a brand new webinar onto the community. So if you are already a community member, just keep an eye out for that. That will be um, uploaded on Monday. So keep an eye out for that webinar. And um, we also have, we I said on the last podcast, I think that we were just in the final stages of finishing off our, our latest ebook which is going to be 50 mobility drills. So um, an e-book that can be carried essentially in your pocket, on your phone or on your laptop or your iPad. But 50 mobility drills um, is our latest e-book, our resource. That is going to be out next week as well. And then we've also just put on the community episodes 86 and 87. So with Colin Lewin and JB Marin, the video versions of those podcasts are available now on the community. Um, So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, you can sign up for a free month by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab at the top. Um, if you sign up there, that gives you a free month. After that free month is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you will get access to all of our webinars or future webinars, um, as well as when we can get our network meetings back at, up and running. You will get access to the network meeting presentations there as well, plus all the content that is already available, um, which includes 10 of our network meeting presentations. I think there's over eight hours now of webinars as well on there. So you can go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there and get your free month Here's part two of the podcast with Ben. Yeah, definitely. And, and one of those strategies, what we wanted to dive into was the injury prevention strategy. So do you want to just touch on the record of you that, that you guys have in the academy in terms of um, the injury record and then also what you've put in place? Um, and I, I saw you tweet as well about uh, injury prevention, which I love. So I, I don't know if you, yeah. I think you probably know the tweet I'm on about. You could touch on that as well if you, if you, if you can. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, our injury record is. Um, I, I would. I would suggest it's a good one. Um, I'm not about to say we don't have injuries. Um, everyone does. Um, the the one thing I would I would suggest is um, we work hard in in the area of what I would call just good training, if that makes sense. Um, what a lot of people call injury prevention. Um, the, the the sort of 
a sort of way I look at it and the, and the model I sort of prefer to use is, um, I, th- I think I heard Mike Boyle once say it about, you know, like I just said, injury prevention or prehab is just good training. And for me, um, that is something that sort of rings true. So what we what we try not to do is have people working in different areas and, and again, not going back to the integration word, not integrating and not working together, if that makes sense. Um, so what we don't want is the, the old um, scenario of a sports scientist doing a warm-up and, and collecting some GPS data and, and maybe doing an S&C session um, that no one else is involved with, um, a physio that's doing a pre-ab program that doesn't relate to anything else, um, coaches that plan sessions by themselves and, and don't take into consideration the data we're collecting or, or periodization programs and that sort of stuff. What we need is, a, a, again, an, an integrated approach and a collective where everyone's working across the same page. So people talk about hamstring injuries all the time, and, and for good reason. Um, I think the reason we've been able to keep our hamstring injuries to a, a minimum is because we try and involve um, everyone in that process in terms of our training process. Um, so specifically, if we're talking about certain injuries and hamstrings being one of them, there's, you know, it's not just a sports scientist, it's not just a physio that has an influence on whether players get injured or not or, or get a hamstring injury or not. Um, the coaching programme has a massive influence on whether players get injured or not. Um, so we need to take everything into consideration. And, and I think what we've done really well over the last few years is integrate and also um, see things from every, everybody else's point of view. So we know we're not going to eradicate injuries. We know that everyone's going to get injured at some point in their career. What we're trying to do is mitigate the risk. Um, but for me, the the biggest sort of um, mitigating risk factor is good training and, and how we prepare for it and how we plan it and how we go through with it. Um, so for us, our training program is planned um, with the coaches and the sports science team um, alongside each other. So obviously the, the coaches... Um, decide what what they want to uh, what they want the players to be to be working on for that day that week that that sort of block or whatever, however you want to look at it and then we'll we'll look into how we think we can best do that and, and how we can facilitate their um, the outcomes they want um, moving forward um, so for me it's it's everyone's responsibility um, and and again a really important thing is trying to make sure we individualise the training and that's again part of a, of a multidisciplinary um, approach. Um, so we try and individualize as much as we can um, within the constraints that we've got in terms of time, staff, and facilities, etc. But everyone's involved um, in that process. So if we look at something like periodization, for example, um, it's not just a physical thing; it's it's a, a coaching thing as well, and everything ties in um, a medical thing. Um, and we need to we need to sort of go back to the beginning, I think, and sort of say. Um, what do we want from our players? Um, so I know I'm talking around in circles here, but, but what do we want from our players, essentially? What do, what do coaches want players to be able to do? That's, the first, that's where we need to start. Um, what does an under-18 central midfielder need to be able to do? What does an under-18 right midfielder or an under-16 right back need to be able to do? And for us as a, as a department, sports science and medicine team and a coaching team collectively, we need to, we need to figure out are, is that player currently capable of doing that? Um, and if they're not, then why? Where are the gaps in that? That could be 
Um, a physical thing could be a technical thing, could be a tactical thing, but if it's a physical thing and it's something that we can work on, um, how do we, what do we need to consider to be able to work on that? So age, maturation, previous injury, training age, you know, subjective status, all those things, um, previous training load, all those things that we've worked on um, or, or we, can, we speak about in terms of injury prevention. Um, but that's the basis of it. Um, and if we do need to increase their physical capacity in something, um, how do we do it and how do we do it in a sensible way? And, and we all know, or I think we all accept that um, increasing training loads in a sort of systematic way, a, a progressive overload sort of way is the way forward. Um, and for me, you know, again, we need to integrate, we need to have the coaching staff on board. We need to have the medical staff on board. Um, so no one's working on their own. Everyone's working as part of, of a single strategy. So we're redoing all our profiling at the moment um, in the academy. So again, we've, we've revisited that. We've looked back. We, we've asked the coaches what they want our players to be able to do. And then as a physical department, we've taken that away and said, for them to be able to do these things, they need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. So if we're going to be a high pressing team, we need our specifically our strikers uh, or our nines and our wide players to be able to press. Um, and we need to be able to, them to be able to press consistently across the game um, over and over again. So how do we, so are they, are they capable of doing that? If yes, brilliant. If no, fine. How do we make sure they're capable of doing that? And then we go back and how do we train high speed running? So we, we work on that with them and we progress that in a, in a sort of sensible way. And, and that's, good training um, and good injury prevention at the same time, if that makes sense. So we're, we're, we're marrying the two up. We're not just, we're not just thinking that injury prevention is 10 minutes of prehab before the training session. And then everything else is just training. Everything's part of the same, um, the same model, if you like. Um, I hope I haven't gone around the hours too much on that, but um, yeah, that's, that's the way I see it. And that's the way we sort of work. Um, and, and we're lucky enough to have coaches that, that, that understand where we're coming from and try and, and try and be part of that process as well. I think that's a key point, isn't it? Because I, th- I love the fact that you've touched on the decisions on, on what the coaches want and then it sort of spirals down from there. I'm guessing then it goes to you, but then you're using all the other practitioners below, isn't it? And it, there has to be that sort of smooth pathway between everyone, doesn't there, to get the, the end result? Because we could, we could want that high-pressing impre- high team and want to develop these these physical capacities, and that, that could then spiral down to you. But then, if it doesn't go below that, and the, the link isn't there, then we're not going to get the outcome, are we? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean about the model, um, and it has to be consistent because we need to know through the system what we want um, and what we're preparing players for as they move up through the age groups. Um, so having that in place um, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and having the rest of the staff understand that as well makes a lot of sense. So, um, for example, our, our physios or sports therapists, again, um, will know or will have access to the, the physical profiles for, for the player. So, again, if we take the, the wide player or the striker as, as an example, um, you know, we're asking them to press. This is the training we're asking them to be able to do, the repeat high-speed running, some mass work, whatever it may be. Um, so they're, they're covering more high-speed running distance during games, during training. They're, they're doing more sprints um, than, for example, your, your centre-backs. Um, so does that change the sort of injuries that they might be at risk of? Of course it does. Um, so the, the coaches are aware of that, the sports science team are aware of that, and, and the medical team are aware of that as well. Um, and without that link, I think things get missed. Um, 
and there's not that sort of streamlined systematic approach to um, the, the program as a whole, um, which is why I, I, I sort of like um, uh, injury prevention. Yeah, it is a thing and, and we use the term, of course we do. But um, if you're looking at it from a, a more holistic view, then we're looking at a, a good training model that allows us to develop players um, in a system that the coaches want them to be um, efficient in um, and also making sure that they're able to reproduce that during training, during games um, on a consistent basis and to the level that they're required to do it. Um, so that that's what we need to do. That's our job essentially um, and, and keeping them on the pitch is obviously a big part of that which is where your, your other strategies come in like periodization and recovery and and then your nutrition um, and that sort of stuff, which is obviously vital to supplement that um, and, and your testing and bits and pieces as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of, of, of little pockets and lots of facets that, that probably previously um, would have been separate and, you know, we're doing this for, for doing this sake, whereas now hopefully we're sort of on one page and we can um, relate everything to the end goal, which is um, allowing or making sure the players are you know, efficient at doing what they've been asked to do by the coaching department because the only way they're going to progress through the academy and to where they want to be is to be able to do that. So if we can facilitate that in any way possible, then, then I guess that's our job. No, definitely. And it's it's refreshing to hear that um, injury prevention referred to as that. And it's not just a, a five-minute um, session with a few mini bands. It's, it's, it's a much bigger much bigger yeah. thing than that, isn't it? It comes in, it brings everyone into play. Um, another yeah. big part of, of your strategy and another thing we were going to touch on, Ben, was your movement, uh, your movement competency framework. So do you want to touch on that and how that relates? Again, you can relate it into injury prevention again, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. It relates to our, to our whole programme, including physical development, injury prevention um, um, completely. So our programme um, that we've devised sort of I think probably three or four years now we've, we've had this this in place. Um, we've come up with a real real banger of a name for it. It's called AFCB Basics. Um, so if anyone's got any better ideas on what to name it, then please let me know because as a department, we completely failed in that aspect. Um, but basically what we've got is a uh, a movement competency framework that's that's got five levels in it that, that runs for, throughout the academy. So any, any academy player will be on this continuum somewhere. Um so from level one to level five, and within those levels, there's sort of three um, smaller levels or, or parts to it as well. So, for example, level one, you'll have level one beginner, level one intermediate, and level one advanced before you move on to your level two. And obviously, right from the bottom, there'll be your, your basic patterns, um, real basic stuff that will sort of get any player to, to perform when, when they come into the academy at under nines, or if they come into the academy at under 12s, 14s, 15s, Whenever they come into the academy, they'll start at level one beginner, um, and we'll see how they progress through. Um, just so we're, you know, we're uh, aware of where they where they are and what they can and can't do, and how quickly we might be able to progress them or not, if that's the case. So we, we've got um, our squat patterns, double leg, single leg. We've got our lunge patterns, our hinge patterns, again, double leg, single leg. Um, we've got our push and pulls. We've got our um, jumping and landing mechanic stuff. Um, again, double leg, single leg that works into um, our plyos further up, further up the um, continuum. Um, we've got our sort of bridge patterns that we use as well um, through there. 
Um, and then we've got other things to supplement that as well, like our Copenhagen program and stuff like that that runs alongside. Um, but essentially, that, that's that's the program um, level one to five with, with the with the sub levels in between. So we're looking at a fifteen level sort of um, program across the academy for, for people to work for players to work through. Um, and that's not something that we you know rush them through. It's something that we allow them to um, take their time to to work through and to to progress on. Um, because for us, the the basis of of what we do um, is our movement competency and, and and how players move and um, and how that then translates onto the pitch. So we've got sort of on field agility agility elements and sort of chaos elements to that as well that, that we we sort of progress with. But if we're talking about our fundamental movement stuff and our movement competency, that's the framework we've got. Um, and how that works is every player from the Nines to sixteens essentially has a as a basics program that um, is individual to them. So, um, for example, you might have um, an under nine that's on level one beginner for each of those categories. You might have an under nine that's on level one beginner for three or four of those, and and level one intermediate for one, and level one advanced for another. Um, and they'll have that program that's individual to them. Um, they'll be able to do that. Um, a good number of times a week. So if we take foundation phase, for example, they're in with us on a Tuesday, Wednesday and a Thursday night, um, and they'll complete uh, 10 to 15 minutes of that every time they're in with us. Um, and we started getting to do that on the weekends as well when they're in on Sundays. So if you look at sort of 10 to 15 minutes, four times a week, then we're sort of hitting a good amount of time across the week where they're simply working on the, those basic movement components um, and sort of getting that, that movement, um, prep work in um especially at that age where we're looking to you know um fire up the nervous system and make sure that those movement patterns are are ingrained in, in the body for and the brain for for the future so that's that's the setup across there with the ydp um it becomes a little bit more advanced so generally again depending on competency they could be anywhere on on the continuum but generally they'll obviously be a little bit further up um and also those guys will be in the S&C gym with us um, so our foundation phase do come to the gym to do that um, but they'll also but that's also futsal work for them there's also some speed work some agility work and and obviously lots of multi-sport stuff that we do with those guys as well and when we get to YDP those guys are um, a little bit different um, they, they're in a little bit more often and, and and they get to to do that more and they also get to if they're ready to load in the gym so we do day release from 13s up um, so our under-13s, for example, will be on a, in on a Tuesday night. They'll do 10 or 15 minutes of their AFCB basics before training starts, um, along with some, some running mechanics work and whatever, whatever sort of work they're working on that night with the, with the physical department. Um, they'll be in on a Wednesday um, to do the same thing um, in the evenings. They'll be in on a Thursday um, for day release. So they come into the gym and those guys will be loading if they're ready. Um, so they'll get a bit further up. So for example, if you get to sort of um, level two advanced, if we're talking about a double leg squat pack, squat, squat pattern, um, that sort of moves from um, overhead, overhead squat, um, unweighted overhead squat at level two beginner to med ball goblet squat at level two intermediate up to uh, a training bar front squat at, at level two advanced and, and then on a training bar back squat, weighted front squat, um, weighted back squat so we, we work in sort of a systematic way where um, we're looking at movement and then we're sort of looking at loading those patterns where possible um, right the way up to where you get to 
you know, sort of level five advanced where we're looking for um, probably our higher end players, 16s and, and some of the 18s to be hitting, you know, above um, 100% body weight back squats um, and, and being able to, to perform an overhead squat with a weight, whether that's a, a 20 kg bar on its own or something like that. Um, so that's how it works across there. Our 18s as well, we plot them on this, um, on these levels. Some of them go past the level and, and they're on their, you know, sort of road to first team S&C sessions. Um, and a lot of those have, have progressed really well through this basic system. Um, so like I say, this has been in place for sort of three or four years. So we've had players that have come from sort of under 14s, um, 13 to 14s, starting on this programme, gone right the way through to 18s and beyond. Um, now that have um, have gone through that process, and we've seen, um, you know, how that works and how we can develop the players in that way. So it allows us to, again, have a systematic way of moving players through um, that continuum. Um, and 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 I guess the toughest thing for us is knowing when to to push players through that process. Um, so our our way of doing it is to ensure that. Um, the players are ready. We get at least two, if not three, members of staff to agree that a player can move up the continuum. Um, so it might be that um, we've got an S&C coach working with a player and, and he thinks that um, he's ready to be moved from level three intermediate to level three advanced. Um, and be, but because, you know, we're a team and we all, we all want to see the players and we all, we all want to learn from each other and, and look at what we're seeing, we, we get other staff members as well to assess um, to make sure we're all on the same page again with, with, with what we're considering is um, quality enough movement to move forward. So whether that be sports science, S&C and uh, a physio or sports therapist, it would need at least two, if not three people to to um, agree that this person is is moving well enough to um, increase um, their level. Or it might be that this person's now moving well enough to be able to load that, that movement um, yeah, so that's how it looks for us. It's been in, in place for, for quite a while and it's become a staple of the, pro- of the program. Um, again, the coaches have been more than happy to integrate that um, uh, where necessary um, and be part of the process. So, yeah, another really positive thing that I think we've, we've managed to get into place. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth there, mate, because that was the one question I was going to ask in terms of when you progressed them through. Um, and yeah. who's involved in that, but you touched on that there. So that, that's great. Sounds, sounds a really good program. Yeah, I think it's important as well to have the different viewpoints. So um, the difference between the way an S&C coach and a, and a physio, for example, looks at a movement um, for me is a really nice way to um, start conversations. So from an S&C or sports science perspective, we might be looking at a certain aspect and a, a physio or sports therapist might be looking at something different and and bringing both of those aspects together and those two different viewpoints again makes us better practitioners on both sides, I think, um, and allows us to understand movement better um, as sports scientists and, and as physios if we're, if we're on the same page. No, definitely. And it, it's just great to expand really on the, the stuff we went through with David because we've gone at it in a slightly different way and it just shows the quality work that's going on down there. And um, yeah, I, I think we could, we could delve more into that program um, and, Go more yeah. into the details, but I think you've covered it great. I think it's given. I, I would just say, oh, sorry, Ben. On that point, I would just say it, it does it does tie in completely because um, obviously David will have spoken about the, the things that happened during the adolescent growth spurt, and and for sure that adolescent growth spurt potentially has an effect on the levels these guys are on and and how we how quickly we move them and and if we do move them or whether we 
um, regress them at certain points because, um, as we know, the coordination could be affected, balance could be affected, you know, um, during the adolescent growth spurt. So it might be that someone's on um, a level and, and, you know, we think they're, they're doing all right on that level, and then all of a sudden they're struggling with those movements. We need to regress those movements for a certain amount of time before we can then take another step back forward. So, again, like, like I guess <laughs> I say it again, but the point I'm trying to get across is everything relates to each other um, and, you know, it's not working in small groups, working in silos, doing this, doing that. It's everyone has a part to play in every sort of area or an aspect of the, of the programme. That's why I feel quite passionate about um, everyone knowing how um, their role sort of leads into that and how they can have a positive effect on it. No, I think that's great. I think that's come across as well. And it's um, it's definitely something that other people have touched on, that integration and, and um, working cohesively in a team. I think it's really, really, really important. Um, but I don't want to take up any more, any more of your time because I know you've been sat on your laptop all morning. You probably want to get up <laughs> and get moving and uh, go and see the family. So I really yeah, appreciate the sun's you. out as well, so. Yeah, you can get out there and get a little <laughs> bit of indeed. Um, no, I really appreciate you coming on, mate. I think it's been, there's been loads of great information there. Um, and like I say, it backs up the great work you're doing down there as a team um, following on from David's episode. But in terms of if anyone wants to reach out, I know when we put this out on David's episode, a few people did reach out to him. So if yeah. anyone reach out, wants to reach out to yourself, where's the best place to do it? Um, yeah, uh, Twitter's probably the best place for me. Um, so that's at Ben Bradley underscore SSCI. Um, I go through waves of being really... Um, active on there and then waves of not but um, but uh, yeah I'll, I'll always check it I'm always um, happy to chat to people and, and answer any questions on there so um, if anyone's got any just give me a shout on there that's probably the best place to go Awesome mate well thanks a lot for coming on and uh, go and enjoy the sun and uh, we'll stay in do. touch and, uh, No yeah, problem Ben All the best for <laughs> next season mate Thanks for having me I appreciate it Ben all the best Thanks a lot Huge thank you to Ben for coming on the podcast. He's probably sick of me messaging him, asking him to come on because we've been trying to sort this one for a long time um, and it's been pretty tough on both sides, but I really do appreciate him giving up the time. Um, I know he's obviously at home like all of us now with the family, so it's not always the easiest to fit in, but a big thank you to Ben for coming on. Uh, You can go and give him a follow if you don't already on Twitter at Ben Bradley and then underscore SSCI. And again, like I said, I'm probably like a broken record on these on these recent podcasts, but loads of takeaways again for me. Um, but picking out some of the main ones, the first one getting thrown in at the deep end, I think that was the phrase that Ben used in terms of first arriving. Um, I think he was referring to when he was at Crawley getting thrown in, not much of a programme in place and he had to sort of adapt and get something up and running. Um, we also talked about in the episode that I don't know how many of those opportunities going into like a blank canvas there are going to be with clubs now because a lot of clubs do have um, S&C or sports science programs running. So um, that was a key takeaway for me. And then some of the really important ones, I think, in terms of he spoke about the link of behaviour, uh, behaviour even in the classroom, linking to the maturation of the player. So that links up with the sort of cohesive approach they take at the club. So getting 
everyone that's um, involved at the academy working together, working towards the program. And obviously communication has to be key throughout all the um, academic side, as well as physical preparation, as well as the technical side. Everyone has to be linking up together to understand all the different areas. And then tying in with that, I thought probably the biggest takeaway for me from this episode was where he talked about interviewing academy staff on their role in terms of growth and maturation. So I think that was really interesting and possibly something that I know we talk a lot on previous episodes that don't just take something that someone else is doing. You need to make it contextual for your environment. But I think this is probably something that a lot of people could do. Um, sitting staff down, trying to get that opinion from them on where they fit into the role of growth and maturation. I thought that was a really, really interesting concept and I might be um, a bit outdated with it, but I don't think it's something too many people are doing. I've not seen too many people putting it out there, but I think that was a really, really interesting concept and a big thank you to Ben for sharing it. And big thanks to David Johnson as well back in episode 39, because both of those guys are doing some top work down there as well as all the other staff down there. So um, it's great to get a real um, good view, an idea of the program running at Bournemouth. So big thank you again for listening. Like I said at the start of the episode, please share the episode and give us a tag on Instagram, Twitter. Let us know your biggest takeaways. It'll be great to hear what you took away from the episode. And we'll be back next week with another two episodes. I'll see you then.